Welcome to Kachika, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes at the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts. Kachika is a production of Ringplay Productions. Here we are again for another episode of Kachika. And this week, it's kind of strange because this is a wholly internal recording. I'm here with Philip A. Burroughs, who happens to be my husband. But our topic is the beginning of the season. Um, the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts and Ring Play Productions have reestablished a season of plays where there are five plays in the first five months of every year. But this is not a new idea. This is something that has been going on or that used to happen 30 years ago at the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts. And so I'm going to talk to Philip who's going to tell us about the origins of the season, what it is, what it was established for, and how it came about. Welcome, Philip. Thank you. Is that a question now? <laughs> okay, so I'll ask a question then. <laughs> so, Philip, what is the Dundas Repertory season? It's a little bit of history that has to sort of lay out before we get to the rep season. The Dundas used to be run by five member groups. Five at the time of the forming of the season. It was the Nassau Amateur Operatic Society, the Nassau Players, the Bahama Drama Circle, the University Players, and the Nassau Music Society. These were the five groups that actually, for lack of a better word, owned the Dundas. The Dundas is actually owned by the Bahamian people, but they sat on the board and they created the policy and everything. And the chairman at that time and for 25 years was Winston V. Saunders. What used to happen was each group would produce probably two shows a year. The Operatic Society did a major musical around May and another one around November. And the Drama Circle did two productions, the University Players did two productions. And it started to be a situation, Music Society did a concert here and a concert there. So they had a regular sort of schedule. But what started to happen was the productions, sometimes the university players did one production a year. Sometimes the drama circle did one production a year. But even when they did two productions, there was a lot of time when the theater doors were closed. And so Winston had a, had an idea to do a repertory season where the groups would all sort of disband uh, during the months of January through May. And in each month, there would be a production. And all of the members of those groups would audition and become members of the Dundas repertory company and plays would be chosen and that would happen. So Winston had asked me to be the artistic director. I'm gonna ask two questions right now. The first question is, can you just talk a little bit about what we mean when we say repertory? And then the second question is going to be, how did Winston ask you? Okay, well, repertory is just, you know, it's a series of productions. One production closes, the other production is already in rehearsal. And within a short period of time, uh, the next production opens. And it's a constant thing where during those five months, there's always something going on. Rehearsals never stop. And they start from December and everything goes through straight through until May. So what we would have done back then would have been two weeks on, two weeks off. And that was basically how the season ran. I wasn't actually not planning to come home. I studied in New York at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and I was actually working on getting my green card. And as a matter of fact, Winston had visited New York and had set up an appointment for me to go and see the lawyer, the same lawyer who actually represented John Lennon when they tried to expel him from the States. And I gave him a retainer and I was working towards getting my green card. I had come home during the summer and I had run two workshops, a workshop with the university players 
And these were acting workshops and an acting workshop with students from St. Anne's and Government High. I was working on those during the summer and I got a call from one of my acting teachers to ask me to come back to New York to be in a play. The play was uh, Lorraine Hansberry's The Sign in Sidney Brewstein's Window. Not her most famous work, right? Not her most famous work, no. The the play was being revived by her husband, Robert Nemiroff, who Mm -hmm. owned all of her work. They had an understudy for the character that um, they wanted me to play, but they weren't really too keen on him taking that role. And the person who had actually had the role had just gotten a movie role with Sylvester Stallone and Billy Dee Williams in a movie called Nighthawks. So I got a oh, call. Dear. I got a call one Saturday morning, and it was my one of my acting teachers from the academy, and he said, um, "You know, can you come to New York and do the show?" Can we can we stick a pin? Because I know that that's not all that he said. The first thing he said was, "Have you been on the beach?" Yes. Well, actually, the producer who was with him said, "Have you been in the sun?" I was like, what? Because the role is a character named Alton Scales. And Alton is a black man that passes for white. So she wanted to be sure that I didn't get a heavy, heavy tan when I had come (laughs) home so I could play this role. And and I was like, well, you know, I don't really do the sun that much, so I should be okay. (laughs) I don't don't come out except in the night. So, um, so anyway, I, I, I had one more acting class to go. And I said, listen, I need to finish my class on Monday night and I will fly to New York on Tuesday. And I flew to New York on Tuesday. I went immediately to the theater. I picked up the script and started rehearsal on Wednesday. And the following Wednesday, the play opened. And Simon Sidney Brewstein's Window is a three-act play, so I spent my days just learning the script and my evenings going to rehearsal. Winston was visiting New York at some point, and he came to see the play. I came home, and we had Carafesta, and that was in Barbados. And oh, so that, was that Carafesta? Carafesta 1981? Yes, or Carafusion. The one that almost killed Carafesta? Yes. So um, when I came home, uh, both Clement and Winston had said, we want to carry theater, some kind of play or something. Winston's play, Them, which hadn't been produced for a number of years. Pandora Gibson Gomez, Angela Scott, and Cookie Allens were the three actresses. And we worked on that play. And we needed another play because Them is a one-act play. And so we got... um, Susan Wallace's single seven. We took those two plays as an evening of theater in Barbados. When we came back, Winston had called a meeting for, I'm still planning to go back to New York now. Winston called a meeting for all the member groups. Yes, because your, your career, your career in New York had just started. It's starting. This is your break. This is your break. Exactly. And so Winston called a meeting for all the member groups to propose this idea about a repertory season because he said the theater doors are really closed too long. We need to have something through these months where nothing takes place. And it was a very contentious meeting, but at the end of the day, it was decided. And the first two plays, it was going to be a test season in 1981 it was going to be the, the just a just a, a trial and john amos the famous american um african-american actor who was in roots and good times and john had come down and john was going to be directing these two plays and the idea was that the first play would go up which was 12 angry men and it would close and four days later the set would be built and the next play would open, which was Anne-Miss Redden Drinks a Little. So that was the trial season in 1981. Just let's see if we could do two plays back to back. And then when we start in 82, we'll have a full five play season. And so work started. We had just come back from Carafesta and work had begun. And John 
realized that he had bitten off a little bit more than he could chew. And he said to Winston, I am not going to be able to direct both of these plays. He was, he was, he was acting as well. He was acting. Correct? He had a role in both plays and he was oh, directing Lord. both plays. You know, he was free in the day, but he had to rehearse like from six to eight at the Kirk where they rehearsed um, and Miss Redden and then eight to 10 at the Dundas for 12 Angry Men. Within a week of rehearsal, John kind of realized that this was just going to be a little bit too much. So Winston, having seen me direct uh, both them and Single Seven, he asked me if I would take on the role of di director for And Miss Ridden Drinks a Little. And I did. And the those two plays happened. And that was the beginning of the Dundas rep. And so the following year, 82, we did a full, we did a full four plays, but we always had the National Youth Choir, which was a part of the rep season. So we were five productions. Could I, could I stick a pin? So you mm -hmm. directed one play and then what? That, because you were the artistic director of the season. So how did that work? How did that come about? Well, once I decided to direct, Winston was like, you know, what do you do it? What do you have to do in New York? And I said, well, you know, my my main thing is I want to work. I want to work in theater. So he said, well, you could work here. Direct plays in the season. I will work out some kind of remuneration for you to be able to make some money and do theater. And I, it, it's not like I didn't know what my fellow actors, how they were struggling in New York. Right. And how... Because it's not... It's not a guaranteed. It's not a guaranteed career, right? You oh, get, oh no, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. And I, I, I know some of them who were just, you know, auditioning on auditioning on auditioning, not having yeah. a chance to do any work. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, well, okay, I can do a few plays, and I can do that, and I'll see how that works out. And um, that went on for seventeen years. So can you talk <laughs> a little bit about the business arrangement that you came to? The business arrangement was that. I would work on the production and the Dundas would be the, a producer. Once the show went up, if it made a profit, I would get 50% of the net. That worked really well for some productions and not really great for other productions. So I had an incentive. So, so just, right. So just to say, just to, just to push that a little bit further. So what you mean is you got 50% of the net. The net profit. Um, that's after all, that's right. That's after all the bills and everything had been that's paid. That's correct. Where did the other 50% The Dundas got it. The Dundas got yes. it. Yes. Now, if it didn't make, if a show didn't make money, what happened? The, then the Dundas took the loss. I see. You didn't take the no. loss. You just got paid if there was a profit. No. Okay. No. So um, it balanced out kind of good because there were some productions that did really, really, really well. And there were some productions that didn't, but it, that was the situation. There was no, there was no salary that was, you know, set. There was no locked in thing. It was like, you do it. So you, you had a real incentive to make sure that it was a good production, that a lot of people came to see it. And, um, you know, you had to make sure that your budget was set so that, you know, cause part of that, for part of that was also, you had to pay the Dundas rent. So oh, that came so it out. wasn't just so that was one of the costs. Oh, that was the cost. The rent of the yes, Dundas. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Dundas always gets its rent. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that came mm -hmm. out that came out of the gross. Absolutely. And so yeah, so we did that. And I ended up for the season, most seasons, I would direct three plays. So I would direct play number one, play number three, and play number five. Sometimes okay. less, sometimes less than three, depending on how many other directors were available. Cause there was very, it was very difficult at that time. There were not a lot of people directing. So I ended up, you know, doing a, a really lot of directing. That's how come I've directed over a hundred and some plays in the course. So, of so, so the directors, the directors in the 1980s would have been Winston Saunders. Winston directed a few things. Um, later on, Keith Wisdom came Keith back Wisdom. and he directed mm -hmm. some things. David 
Burroughs directed a few productions. Mm-hmm. Can't think of who else. Didn't Cedric come and direct something at one Cedric point? Cedric came and directed one play. Season? Yes, he he directed. He okay. came and directed tribute. So that would be Cedric. Scott. That would be Cedric Scott. Yes. Um, who currently who's, who lives in LA works yeah. at Sydney Point. Yeah. Right. A lot of times it was me. It was me, but um, other times, you know, as I said, we had a there was a there was a production of uh, Four Billion Circles that David and Sammy directed. All right, and then you had like Gordon Mills from the Nassau Players. So every now and then you would get people yes. coming in from the other the member groups exactly. come in and direct. Exactly. Right. So that went on for seventeen years. For you, for me, it went on for seventeen. Yes, years. and then there were yeah. two more years. There were two years after I left. There was um, a, a different artistic director in each of those two years, and then this the Dundas decided to go in a different direction. Right. They 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 disbanded the yes. season. Yes. You're listening to Kachika, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes at the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts. So let's talk a little bit about the um the value of this the Dundas repertory season. What do you think, looking back on it, the original Dundas repertory season, and what what do you think was its its um strong points? So much so that you decided that Ringplay Productions, now managing the Dundas, has reinstated the season. For what reason was that? The season was a constant. The season was something that people could rely on. There were other shows going on during the year. The, the NASA Operatic Society was still producing. Um, very shortly after the season started, uh, the NASA players wound down, as did the drama circle. Um, as did the university players, because all those actors would end up being in shows in the season. And it was different for the Operatic Society because the Operatic Society produced music doing musicals and the, se- right. and the season okay. didn't produce musicals. Well, uh, did drama. not right. until okay, not until yeah. once on this island, uh, the, the production right. that Brian I gave to Brian to do um, was once on this island. Sorry, was once on this island. Did that predate? You can lead a horse to water or the opera, the operas, which were part of the season. No, no, they were later. But those are different things. Yes, yes. You can lead a horse you can lead to a water. Horse to water. You, you can lead a horse to water was the second full season. That was 1983. Uh, okay. As was Sammy Swain. Sam, 1983, right, was, right. 1983 was an incredible season, actually. For, for You Can Lead a Horse to Water and Sammy Swain to happen in the same season was quite a... Why was it? Why was it such an incredible season? You can lead a horse to water and Sammy Swain. <laughs> no, but I mean, why 1983? I don't know. It's just, why it, it was just, it was, was, was it because, I mean, the season used to do things like commemorate um, milestones and things like that. 1983 was the 10th anniversary of independence. Was that? No, maybe you know, I don't was? think so. I think it, I think the fact that we got the season underway in 82 we were just in this creative bin. Okay. It's that ambitious thing. Yeah. It's like Shakespeare in Paradise in its second year when we did eight whole Yes, days exactly. And brought in people from all around the exactly. world. Exactly. And almost bankrupted us. No, the, no okay. that's exactly right. I think as we, as we were doing the 82 season, and we were doing The Good Doctor and Tribute and these, these plays, we were like, you know, we should be working on some new stuff. And, you know, Clement had worked with me on The Good Doctor, finding the music for it. He, he and I went up to ZNS and went through all this classical music, and Clement was giving me ideas on, you know, um, music that I could use for this production. And I think everybody was in a creative mood. Winston has, had already been in a very creative mood from the redoing of them. And it was because of working on them that he started to think about writing You Can Lead a Horse to Water. And he started to write that when we were actually in Barbados at Carafesta. So okay. we, I think we were all in just, you know, theater is happening right now and we have this repertory season and, and this boy is back home and we could throw all this work at him. <laughs> so, so it was like it was like this it was like this moment where all of a sudden it was inspiring new yeah, work. Yeah. So I don't think it I don't think it had anything to do with the independence. I don't think it had anything to do with it. I think it just had to do with the fact that 
this was just stuff was happening and it was a major push and everybody was feeling we could do this. It, it was, you know, let's just try this. And, and I, you know, we, Clement Winston and I would go to three greens restaurant and sit down and have these long conversations about these particular works. And I remember us having conversations about the casting of horse. And I remember us then talking about the possibility of making Sammy Swain into something different than it had always been. Now, can I just stick a mm -hmm. pin? Because you mentioned the Three Queens right. restaurant. And I'm always mindful that we're dealing with several generations yes. of listeners. So the Three Queens restaurant was back in the day. You used to have iconic Bahamian restaurants all through residential Nassau. It, like what we consider to be sort of residential now. I mean, nowadays we think of all our restaurants seem to be so many of our restaurants, including our Bahamian restaurants, seem to be on the shorefront, right? But at that time, there were a number of really outstanding Bahamian restaurants that were not along Bay Street. They were in the heart of the city. Yeah, and Three, so Queens, Three Queens was Wolf Road. Wolf Road, exactly. Wolf Road, just before you get to Marathon. And um, then there would have been other ones that you probably went to, like Castaways and Mondingos, yeah, yeah. right? Well, these were these they used to be our hangouts because we would leave from rehearsal and go, and we just have these long conversations about theater and 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 making theater and all this kind of stuff. So it was a very sort of creative period, and I think that once we got through that, once we were in the middle of that second season, and we were doing all of these shows, and you know, the Good Doctor had revolving stages and, and and Cedric had come home to do tribute and all of these things were going on and we had invited Dennis Scott to come in. Didn't he do Sisby Banzi as Sisby Banzi actually came, we found them at Cara Fester in Barbados. Okay. And okay. Winston invited them to come and perform. I just think it was a it was a time when everybody was like, theater is now happening. Theater is we have we have the space. We have the we have the we have the time, the theater is available to us. And, you know, it just became a very sort. And that, I believe that is the reason why the group started to fall off because they were all excited about being in the repertory season plays. And so wh why so, produce your own when somebody else is producing it for you? So the thing about the season that I, I came on the scene in 1986, I joined the, the repertory season in 1986. And I have to say that I really wasn't all that aware of the repertory season before that because I was away in university. So um, I went to university in 1982, which was when the season really took off. And I graduated in 1986. And so when I left, the Dundas was this place where you went to see musicals, really. That was really what we yeah. went to see. We went to see Sound of Music and The King and I and yeah. all the Opsop musicals. Um, and And then I came home and there was a play every yeah. month and it was exciting for me because I had not studied theater, but I had been involved in theater in, in Canada. Um, and I came home and I wanted to get involved. And I remember joining a workshop and then the next thing I knew I was in the middle of a season and it was one thing after yeah. another. So what I wanted to ask was, or what, what it seemed to me, was that the season was a great generator of Bahamian talent because the season wasn't just, although it had a large number of plays that I guess you would have really become familiar with through your training, it was also a place where new Bahamian works were being generated. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think it encouraged people like Winston and Jeannie and Ian and you to write because all the writers felt that there was a place for their stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't just us. It wasn't just us. It was people like Sam Boodle and it was people like P. Anthony yeah. White. People had the feeling that, you know, they were like, I could write this. My work can appear somewhere. And so, yes. you know, yes. you, you had Winston with the Nehemiahs. You had Jeannie with Father's Day. and Erlen Williams. Erlen Williams. Olimis Passage. Ian Strawn with any yeah Ian did, Ian had, did Ian had about did four, four plays in the, in the in the rep. yeah um you did power cut for the rep um mm -hmm. you know it was just it Jeannie also did the prodigal's brother it gave an opportunity for for writers to write 
so just just one more thing. I mean, so we've talked about writers and so on. What about actors and people behind the scenes and directors and people like that? When it started out, there was a very small group of people. You know, the drama circle actors were kind of the backbone of the original rep productions. The Greg Lampkins, the the Jeannie Thompsons, the you know people Warren Jones, the people like that. They they were and the university players with John Trainer and Anne Richardson and people like that. A few Nassau players, people like Gordon Mills and Liz Gottlieb and Bonnie Byfield. They and Pam Pringle. Pringle. They were Mick Bancroft. They were also uh, all of those three groups had a stable of actors and they all sort of came together to form the rep company. People wanted to be involved. People wanted to, to join. People wanted to get on stage. People wanted to audition. People wanted to, to be a part of this. And so new people started to come in. In the beginning, there were two set builders. It was Cherry Smith and George Placaris. And, and they built hmm. practically all the sets. They carried out all kinds of things, things that in the 21st century, people thought they were pioneering. Jerry and George had been there yeah. long before. No, they, 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 they were quite incredible, an incredible team. And later joined by Helen Walker and Betty worked with them. And they brought in a number of people. There were other people who built sets. I mean, people built sets for the Opsock, Chris Wright, and, and um, a, lot of the peop- a lot of the members of the society. Um, but for working with the season, it was, it was basically Jerry and George for a long period of time. In the first few years, I sat up in the booth and ran lights and sound. I set lights, I ran lights, mm-hmm. and, you know, every once in a while, Kevin Cartwright would come in and do some stuff. But basically, it was a very small group of people, and it, it started to become very difficult for me because I was directing one or two shows I actually acted in. I was helping build set. I was designing the lights. I was running the lights. I was running the sound sometimes with the soundboard next to me and running the lights and the sound together. And it really got to a point where I was like burning myself out. And I, I started to try to bring people in every once in a while. I would have Stephen Thompson, you, Eddie, a number of different people come in and run lights or sound or lights and sound. Adrian Archer came in to do sound one time. And a couple of my students, I remember bringing several of my students come in when I was teaching at yeah. St. Anne's to run sound. And, and so basically I reached a point with the, with the season. I'd really gotten so frustrated and so tired at a particular point where I said to the board, and I think the straw that broke the camel's back was, the profits that we did make and the profits that were that were there were there to make sure that the next season happened. So it wasn't so much that they were there to make sure that the season happened, but the arrangement was that the season had to pay its bills yes. before before the Dundas took their 50%. But I remember we went to start a season one year and you wanted to start to advertise. And we were informed by the Nassau Guardian and by Media Enterprises that we had an outstanding yeah, well, and that had never Dund- happened before. As you far see, as the Dundas had paid, had gotten its money, and yeah, the, but the, they had not, they had not paid the yeah. bills. And the problem the was that I knew what was left in the account when the season was over. I knew what we took in, and and by this time there was a new manager, and um, I remember going. It was a very specific meeting. I went to I went to to Media Enterprises. I was talking to Larry Smith and. Larry said, well, you know, this bill hasn't been paid and I can't advertise your new show. And I went to the theater and I said, excuse me, but what is the problem? Why haven't these people been paid? And I was told that they wanted to buy an awning for the back door and they wanted to do these particular things. And I was like, well, that doesn't help me because this money was meant to start the next season. So I went to the to the executive members of the board, who at that time were Winston Saunders, Graham Garner, and Fritz Stubbs. And I said, I'm quitting. I said, I cannot operate this way. I said, either I get autonomy where I can have control of the account and I can do with the money what's supposed to be done, 
or you need to get somebody else to be the artistic director. The agreement that uh, we, I came to with the board, I would stay on under these conditions. I said, I would like, first of all, I want a bank account. I want a bank account that I have control over or that my team has control over. So this is a bank account to cover the cost yes. of the season itself. Because by this time, the season has grown beyond the original vision and it now exactly. has a life of its own. So I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put together a team. And I want this team to have certain responsibilities. It was the infamous management committee. And the management committee would run the season. We would bank the money. We would pay the Dundas its rent on, on a show-by-show show basis. basis. We would do this, and that would be the situation. So so just to back up, just to clarify, okay, so the Dundas would get its rent on a show-by-show show basis, and then within the season, within the management committee, the management committee would gauge whether, would keep accounts, and would gauge whether each show had made money. And if each show made money, 50% of that money was put aside to be paid to the Dundas at the end of the season, and 50% was paid to whichever Actually, director was directing. No, it changed at this point in time. The Dundas okay. got rent. Okay. The, right. the 50% that went to the director went to the director, and the other 50% stayed in the account. As a seed, exactly. as seed money exactly. to continue work. So right. this management right. committee I put together, I went and I, I typed up job descriptions for everybody who was going to be on this management committee, exactly what they would do, who would run front of house, who would run box office, who would run bar, who would run, and this would be a team. And this team that was put together, which was, I think, in 87? 87, yeah. 88, 89, somewhere around. No, it was 1989, because it was after okay. this week. So this team is Ring Play Productions today. Practically yes. everybody who was on that management committee ended up being the founding members, bar, except one or two people, the founding members and the present members of Ringplay Productions. There was a parting for a number of years between this group of people and the board of the Dundas. Would that be because the board of the Dundas felt that the season had it over a barrel? And it was to making demands on the Dundas board that the board made. Well, have the Dundas. The, the problem was the Dundas. The season was the only thing that was making money for the Dundas. Mm. And so, mm. when the other productions would have come in, there were there were very few rentals outside of what happened in the season. So, when there was a bill that was owed, and the Dundas couldn't find the money, the Dundas would come and ask the season, and the season would basically say. If we could afford it, we will pay those bills for you. So, so just to just to step back a little bit. So by this time, there wasn't just one season. So we had the winter spring season, which was January to May. But then by this time, this was the end of the 1980s. There was also a yeah, summer season, which had been going on for some time, and there was also a fall season. Am I correct? No, there were three. There was one major season. No, and no, two there, there was seasons? there was the there was a winter spring season. And there was the summer season. There was no fall season. The summer season would have been only maybe two plays during the summer, as opposed to the four or five. I remember a couple of plays that happened in the fall, however. and but They were one-offs one for, one uh, for specific reasons or different groups or whatever, but there wasn't necessarily a fall season. There might have been a, a play for okay. some reason or something that was going on, but we had, a, we had an organized kind of summer experimental um, new work kind of thing that would take place in the summer. Right. Okay. Okay. But by this time, the season had spilled beyond May and it was, and so the money that was coming in through season activities was really the money that was being used to generate the, the, yeah, the but you know, you had groups like, the you, groups like the operatic society still paid rent. So the Dundas got rent from them. The NASA players, the NASA, um, Music Society still had concerts, so there was rent from them. There were outside renters as well that kept the Dundas running. It's just, it was just not enough, and the Dundas didn't realize. Uh, the, the Dundas just thought that if they ran everything, then they would have all the money 
they would be able to do everything, but they didn't realize right. that right. all the creative people and all the people who made these things happen, they were going to have to do it without them. But also what the season did when it got autonomy was the season also exactly. then absorbed all the cost. You're listening to Kachika, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes at the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts. I remember that there was a lot of talk about there being a clique, a closed shop, that if you wanted to get into the Dundas, you had to know somebody. It wasn't a question of auditioning and getting in. You really had to know somebody. And I just wanted, I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about that because wasn't that part of the controversy by the time you got to the 80s? And that was part of the controversy that led to the disbanding of the season was the sense that the season was blocking everybody else who wanted to get access to the theater from the stage. And if you wanted to get on stage, you had to know somebody because it wasn't possible to you know, break you know, into the I, theater. I, I always had a problem with that because I don't believe that that was the case at all. I think the only group that had an issue was the NASA Amateur Arbetic Society and that had to deal, that, that was more specifically with dates. The, the longer we extended, they wanted to be sure that they got their May production in. And if we went too, lo- too late into May, they were worried that a lot of their people would leave and go home because a lot of the group was expat and they were teachers and they were going on vacation. So that was one of the things. Other people who didn't get in had people who auditioned and didn't get in. <laughs> they didn't make it into the shows. And, you know, that was a very sort of uh, contentious thing because they just felt that the other people were getting roles and the other people, you know, in my opinion, just were better for the roles. And you had a fairly good idea of the actors in the, in the, yeah, you know, I mean, at that time I'd worked with practically everybody who had been working on stage. I mean, there were times when I was absolutely surprised. I have a a show comes to mind, uh, blues for Mr. Charlie, because I had in my mind who I thought, the person would be until another person auditioned and when they auditioned they got the role they just took it i mean i didn't know this person so how common how often were auditions held? auditions were held for mostly the first play was the only play that we didn't have auditions for and it was difficult because it was a a a play that would be rehearsed over the christmas and you would have to be sure that the people that were going to be there were going to be people that you could rely on, that people who were going to not, people who you can say, I need you to come to rehearsal on Boxing Day or New Year's Day or whatever, because we're opening like like the 14th of January. That might have been one of the few plays that was like fully cast uh, with members of the company. And you just had to say, look, I need this group of people to get this done because we need to open in January. During the, the rest of the time, um, was it a question of casting the whole cast from auditions or you had people in mind and then you would hold auditions? For it was a mixture. It was a, mix, it was a mixture um, of both. Roles. It was a okay. mixture. I mean, I remember the auditions for Horse. Uh, that was for everybody. Um, I had in mind who I thought could play at maybe two or three of the roles, but everything, every, everything else was auditioned. Even to this day, you know the kind of people, you know what they're capable of. There's always that situation where everybody thinks they're right for every role, and they're not. Right. Yeah, there are certain people who had more roles because there were certain people who uh, were better suited or certain people who were, who were stronger in a particular area. And um, there were people that I never knew who performed in shows that I directed. And I didn't know them until they auditioned to come into the show. So I, I don't, I, you know, there are new people that came in. They had to come in some way. But the, but the whole idea behind the season was originally there was a company, there was already a stable of actors who came from the member groups to begin with. And so these were people, veteran people, who had already been performing, and they were the initial. Group yeah, but the of problem, the problem, the problem that you have to realize from that is they might have been from these member groups, but I didn't know them. No, 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 I understand. So, but what I'm saying is that what all I'm saying is that I know that when the season was disbanded, the yeah. rationale given at that time was that the season 
was blocking access to the theater for all these people who felt excluded by the season, who were excluded by the season because they well, couldn't get cards on stage. And so that was that was the that was the rationale that was given. So you were the artistic director of the season of the Dundas Repertory season from 1981 to 97, and then in 1997 you went you took a sabbatical, yes. is, is, is what I recall it being called. You took a sabbatical, a sabbatical from the artistic being artistic director, mm -hmm. and you took up a job in Canada. Um. And you were replaced as artistic director by for the, for the 1998 season, yes. For the 1998 season. And then Ian stayed for a year. And then he was replaced by um, mm -hmm. David Santos Donaldson, who was brought in from New York City. Yes, to be the artistic and that was the 1989 season, which was the last, which was the last season right. of that period. Right. That was the last of all of that was yes. the last year of the seasons. So in 1998, though, 1997, you went on sabbatical. In 1998, yes. Winston Saunders resigned yes. as chairman. So there was an entirely new executive of the Dundas who did not who, who was not yep. involved in the creation of the season. So they did not have the institutional memory. They didn't have the understanding of what the season had been. But what they did have was the complaints that people were making that the season and, was and they felt, blocking access. No, but and they, and they I, felt. I think. I, I think that that was an excuse. I think they felt that they needed to make money to pay the Dundas bills, and they saw the season as a money-making thing. I think people right. not getting into plays was 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 just a, an excuse. So you're thinking you're thinking that the arrangement that was made with the previous executive with the um, autonomy of the season and, and the, and the, the financial autonomy of the season was yes. part of the contention. The fact that the season held on yeah. to the money until the end of the season at yes. which time they handed it over to the Dundas and they didn't know they didn't no. have access to the books and they didn't necessarily know they couldn't judge yeah. whether the season was being transparent. So I think it was or, a control okay, issue. I think they basically said, we need to get our hands on this money because we need to pay these bills and we can't have it this way. And yeah. we can we can run this the same way they've run it. And um, it'll do what has to be done. But, yes. but with more control. Yeah, but with more control. And the money coming the into reason the why it only lasted right. for two years after lasting for 17 okay. before. Okay. So in 1999, they had the last year of the first, um, the first, the initial yes. Dundas repertory season. The Dundas repertory season mm -hmm. closed in 1999. Then just briefly, I mean, this is not a short episode, but just briefly, can you just talk a little bit, not too much, because I'm sure there'll be other episodes, but talk just a little bit about the revival of the season. Well, the you know, it actually came about, I got a WhatsApp from Patrice Francis. Patrice, who had been in a few rep season shows, had said, and was now a member of Ringplay Board of Directors, she actually wrote me and said, so Philip, what, if we did a season, what would be, how would it be, and when would the dates be, and all this kind of stuff? And, you know, once she threw that into my head, I then sent her a schedule. So basically, so wait, let, you know, I, I, I think I might know a little <laughs> bit about you having lived with you for a little while. But um, so basically what happened was she asked that question and all of a sudden you were like, mm -hmm. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So yeah. this is how it used to work. So yeah. And I basically put together again. a schedule of the five plays. I put down exactly. I didn't I don't know what the plays were going to be. But I put down the slots. I, I worked the schedule out. It's you know, something that I've been doing for Shakespeare in Paradise for forever. And so I said, well, these are the slots. These are the times. This is this is what can happen. And um, then I sent it back to her. So you, you said yeah. we, we'll have mm -hmm. a January show. And these are the dates. Show, and, March, yeah. April, these are the, and a May show. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so... Yeah, and these are the rehearsal dates, and, so, and this is how we're going to do it. What we would have to now, do after some... that then was ahead, determine what the shows were going to be. But at that point in time, it was just the fact right. that these are the dates that these things can happen, 
And so now that we know that that's the first thing, that we have that time period set out, then it's a situation of her and myself trying to figure out what the shows were going to be to fill those dates. So there are some key differences between the season, the ring play um, season that started in 2019, um, 20 years after the last season in 1999 and the original Dundas repertory season. Um, could you just touch on a couple of the differences? Um, well, you said the differences. <laughs> okay. So I'll, 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 I, well, I can, I can say that there are a couple of things that I noticed that are different. One of them is that the, we don't use the same dates. We don't do the same, schedule we don't have the same schedule we don't have the same number of shows um, as they used to yeah, have in the we season. have five shows we have oh not no five. no performances no, no, nights per show shows Sorry. yes performances, performances no. yes so um before the season the nights of the season would be tuesday through saturday Correct. for two weeks back to back so a season show would open on a tuesday night and run tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday close Sunday and Monday and open again Tuesday and run again for another. Right. So there would be 10 shows, per, 10 performances and of per course, show back, in every back then season. We only had so that was theater. one difference. Back then we only had one theater. So it, they were all in what is now known as the Winston V. Saunders right. Theater. We did not have a small experimental space as we do now. And then the third difference would be that um, you would do three yeah. of, the four, of the five productions. Because of that, the third thing I noticed is that there are more auditions because when you have more directors, um, you have the opportunity. Directors have different visions, so they may be well, looking I, for a you know, wider I, I think, of people. I think, I think approaching the season, one of the main things that I probably got Patrice to think about it was short tales because it's a whole new series of people. And it's a whole new series of directors and it's a whole new series of writers. And so to have that only happen during mm -hmm. two weeks, once yeah. a year, once a year, where do yeah. all the rest of these people yeah. go? What do all the rest of these people do? And theater is just growing. Mm -hmm. And so why not try to have theater year round as much as possible? And I think that was the impetus for Patrice's idea of saying, look, why don't we just start this again? Because there's so many more outlets and there, 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 there are more people to do certain things. 30, 40 years ago, there wasn't that many. There weren't as many sometimes, people. Sometimes we, we, we couldn't people. do a play because we, couldn't, we didn't have enough actors. You could have an audition and right. you, could, you could audition right. and then you would be then going around calling people to say, do you know somebody who could play this particular role? And so I always found the audition right. argument, even sometimes now, you know, depending on the kind of role, you know, you, you, in short yeah. tales, you have up to 30 actors. And, you know, so you mm -hmm. have the people. Back then, you were like, I can't do mm -hmm. this play because I can't find these people. I can't do you can't you can't mm -hmm. tell me that That's right. so right. and so came in on audition and couldn't get in. Chances are they couldn't get into the role they wanted to get into. Right. Or or they, they auditioned, but what you what exactly. we were looking for, what you were exactly. looking for was a completely different character. And you know, I mean, I sat in on an audition right. just recently. I sat in a, a audition that Aaron did for um for Patrice's work that has been Corona. Corona stalled. The Francis factor. Which will eventually happen. Yeah. But, you know, there were, what, 15, 20 people who auditioned for that show. And I think five of those people were right for the roles that were she right. wanted. And on the other hand, when we did Diary of Souls, mm -hmm. we didn't hold auditions at all because we knew who we wanted to work with from Short Tales. We knew what people were able to do. And Renee approached people and said you know it was it was not something we wanted or open auditions for and you we you were you were dealing with right. people from certain um we needed we needed to have we want we were committed to having Haitian descent. being people who were Haitian exactly behavior well, the, Haitian the, origin absolutely that is and that was critical and we had yeah, those and that people is why there's certain works tales. that you just you know 
you have to cast a certain way. And there are other works that are just wide open. I mean, the auditions that we held when we were doing the nights upon nights that we held when we were doing auditions for Derail Ting and Short Tales and mm. and the Shakespeare, mm. all of those were happening over a certain number of nights. And, and Skibo Hall's, Skibo Hall's yeah. auditions, like for three weeks, like he'll audition yeah. for like Smile Orange and for Old Storytime. He was auditioning for two or three weeks back to back, not back to yeah. back, but he was hearing people so, come so, and read. So yeah, him so I think, I mean, for, just, from, just getting yeah. back to the season now in the last couple of years there have been so many new people that have come into the theater mm -hmm. and to to just do something from july to end in october they may need two weeks break then they're jonesing to get back on mm -hmm. stage and they need to do something and yeah, so i right. think that you know it was just a point where you know patrice had newly been on the board and patrice was like we used to do this before. Can we do this again? And so that was really the, the beginning of it. We got two works in this year. And then we got two But, you know, the first season was quite successful, you know, with the revival of um, Derail Ting and the other works that were done. So it's something that we look to continue. And, and what really is good is we can... You know, we can have the small show in the small theater and the big show in the big theater and move things around. And one of these days, we'll have one outside of the amphitheater. Yep, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, are there any? is there anything else that you want to say about the season, either the original season or the, the current season? It's there, it's here, it's going to continue. And, um, you know, I think that, it gives a lot of actors, writers, and the directors and everybody a, a chance to grow, uh, try new things, and continue to build the theater. I mean, we keep growing. Yep. Okay. You've been listening to Kachika, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the Dundas Center for the Performing Arts, a production of Ringplay Productions. This has been a conversation with Nicolette Bethel and Philip Burroughs.